You know, Jesus said in John 16 33, in this world you'll have what? Tribulation of trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The Bible tells us that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them what? Out of them all. And Jesus let us know that we have an enemy, but that enemy is not greater than him. The thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life, and life more abundantly to the full till it till it overflows. So we're not ignorant of that. Jesus talked about, blessed are you and when men persecute you and revile you and see all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice. For this is how they persecuted, this is how they treated the prophets. So we're not saying today you're going to live in a little bubble and nothing will ever go wrong. But I am saying this, with the faith that you've been given, you can overcome everything this world throws at you. You can be resilient despite all the things that are stacked up against you. Resilience just simply means able to withstand or recover quickly. Shout that out, I recover quickly. It means to recover quickly from difficult conditions, able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. Can I see your hands if you've been bent or stretched or compressed in life in the past couple of years? Well, if you're resilient, you bounce back. But I'm just telling you the way it is. There are millions of Christians all over this nation, and they've not bounced back. They're still trying to find themselves, their relationship with God and their relationship with the church and their purpose in life. That's not God. That's why I say that the biggest fallout from COVID is not even dead bodies, disease, or people who've lost loved ones. It is the loss of who people are in Christ. The resiliency spiritually has been the biggest factor and the biggest consequence of this season. But I want you to know and be encouraged today that there is nothing that marks you you know, as a mature believer, like resiliency of spirit, where you can, as the old Timex commercial used to say, you can take a licking and do what? And keep on ticking. And everybody under 45 has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> because you get your time off of, you know, iPhone, iPad, or an iWatch, whatever, and you don't have any idea what a, a ticking, you know, a watch looks like. So you can look it up on the internet. Amen. <laughs> Look up, it takes a look and it keeps on ticking. You know what I'm talking about today. <laughs> but the bottom line is we need people who can take a punch in the body of Christ and not give up. Amen. Get knocked down and what? Get back up again and not go into a little pity party or a place, you know, where they're, they're defeated all the time. But get, you know, in a place where you bounce back like a great rebounder. Amen. Say it, I'm a rebounder. You need resiliency because it will sustain you when you face adversity and challenges. When there's nothing else available, that inner, you know, you know, sense of strength that God put there to sustain you, that thing that God did inside of you, you're going to need that in life. Because I promise you this, if you haven't felt bent lately, you're going to. Thank you for the good news today, Pastor. Amen. Do you have any other good news for us? Yes, you're going to be compressed. You're going to be stretched. But say it, I'm going to bounce back. No matter what happens, I'm going to bounce back. The biggest factor, I think, in Scott's life is just his attitude. I mean, he wouldn't accomplish anything if he said, you know, I lost my legs, so what's the point? I tell you what's the point. Is God, no matter what you've been through, still has a plan for your life. He has plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future and a hope. He's not done with you. Now, I don't know a lot of people that have been through what he's been through, but I can tell you this, no matter what you've been through, God's not done with you yet. 
One of the biggest lies of the devil is for you to go through something, be compressed, be bent, be stretched, and listen to the enemy tell you that it's all over for you. It's not over for you. Take a deep breath, and if you're still alive as you took that breath, then God still has a plan for you. Amen. Come on, say, God has a plan, has a plan. For, my for my life. But I'm telling you, you'll never realize that plan without resiliency. You never get there without God doing that thing in your life. Resiliency will keep you from losing heart and quitting. Because if you don't quit, you're not going to be defeated. Why? Because I, I can't be defeated according to the Word of God. And I will not quit. Right. Amen. Defeat is and victory in His hands. But quitting or not, that's in my hands. I decide whether I'm going to quit or not or continue in the things of God. Resiliency helps you reach your divine destiny. And there's no path forward without it. Resiliency encourages others when they see you steadfast. I don't know if you know this or not, but people are not just looking at preachers right now. They're looking at you. And to the extent that you bounce back, you can encourage them. You know what? I know so-and-so. I know what they faced in this situation. I know what happened to their family. I know what happened to their business. I know what happened in their life. And I watch them. And they just bounce back from that. They encourage people to see you take a punch and get back up again. Are you here today? And last, it will honor God. It means His promises and commands are important enough to you to stand even though you've been to hell and back. Come on, say it. His promises and His commands mean everything to me. When you get up again from a fall, that's what it's saying. What He thinks matters to you. So I want to just kind of challenge you today with some thoughts and encourage you as well that in the previous sessions about this, we talked about the fact that, that Joseph literally went through hell on earth. Brothers hated him, you know, jealous of him, tossed him in a pit, sold into slavery. Those that were operating the slave trade sold him into Potiphar's house. God blesses everything he's doing in the house. His wife comes on to him. Joseph runs. There's a sermon. Amen. Are you here today? Yes. And he's blamed falsely. He goes to prison. God uses him even in prison. You can imagine at any point in time, enough is enough. What did I do to ever deserve all of this? Well, nothing other than the devil knew that you're going to be a great man of God one day. He's coming to take the resilient spirit right out of you. But we never see him complaining in Scripture. We never see him belly aching about what he went through. And all the way to the end, till he was promoted to the second most powerful position in all of Egypt, next to Pharaoh himself, you never see him lose that resiliency. Same thing when Paul became an apostle when Jesus pushed him down on the road to Damascus, and he was then later baptized in the Holy Spirit when Ananias prayed for him and he was healed, and he set out on his missionary adventures. The Bible tells us that he went through hell on earth. Amen. Stone repeatedly whipped in the Jewish tradition repeatedly, shipwrecked repeatedly, bit by vipers, you know, the slithery kind and the two-legged kind. <laughs> Have you been bit by a two-legged kind before? <laughs> and he just shook it off. And when he's about ready to go to this monumental moment of reaching the leaders of the known free world with the gospel, the elders in the church said, we don't want you to go. We know what's going to happen when you get there. And Paul's like, I know what's going to happen when I get there. But he said this, none of these things move me. Amen. Come on, say none of these things. I want you to think about all the garbage you've been through. Not just before you became a Christian, but since you've been a Christian. Think about all the nonsense. And I want you to say to yourself right now, none of those things, of those things move me. 
Come on, shout it out. None of them move me. And I'm not making light of what you've been through. Any more than I'd make light of what I've been through. I'm just simply saying there comes a time when you need to be more like Joseph, be more like Paul, and hang in there and say, you know what? None of these things move me. What was he saying? I am going to complete what God has called me to complete. That man is saying, I'm going to complete what God has called me to complete. Yes, he could have laid down and died, stayed addicted, stayed you know, just miserable, blaming everybody for what happened to him. But instead of doing that, he had a mindset, none of these things move me. Loss of my legs don't move me. Come on, shout it out one more time. None of these things move me from God's plan. The reason I'm concerned about this is I have learned as a pastor that people do not implode from the outside in. They do not implode spiritually because of all the pressure and all the responsibility and everything on their lives. What I've learned is they implode from the inside out. There's something faulty on the inside of their formation that they can't handle the pressure that's inevitably going to come. Jesus told us, the Word tells us, the Psalms tell us in this life, you're going to face challenges. So that's not even an option. You're going to, you're going to face those. And somebody's thinking right now, well, Pastor, would you pray that I never have another challenge? Well, I can pray that you die right now. That's the only way it's going to happen. The other option is to do something to buttress up and support that thing on the inside of you so that when these come to you, they compress you and they stretch you, you have the structure within to deal with it. Last year, about this time, around June 24th, outside of Miami, in a little town called Surfside, where a condominium was built, in the middle of the night, 1.32 o'clock, half of it sheared off into the ground, killing 88 people, 98 people altogether. You know what they found out? They found out that it was the steel structure within the concrete because of the salt air that over time weakened and compromised the structure. And all those people lost their lives. We look at an implosion and we go, wow, that was sudden. But guess what? The implosion in Surfside was not sudden. It took years for that condominium to come down. And right now, you're either, you're either fretting away on the inside and being undermined on the inside, or you're being strengthened for what's there. And I can tell you this, I'd like to tell you that being a born-again, spirit-filled, word of faith, on-fire, tongue-talking Christian is going to get easier in America. But then I'd be lying to you. But I can tell you this, we can do what the Word says to build and strengthen the structure within and develop a thing called resiliency no matter what's thrown at you. Come on, say it one more time. None of these things, say it, none of these things move me. And, uh, you know, we don't have to be like that condo that just fell down in the middle of the night. We can be strong in Him. Amen. So we've talked about this, but what's really specifically on my heart is to, you know, throw a, another person's name into the hat that I think developed resiliency through what he has been through. And that's a, that's a man called King David. Uh, was he perfect? No. And see, that's part of the problem. Sometimes we cause some of our own problems, don't we? But the most uh, challenging things he faced were within his own family, with his own son, with a king that was just unbelievably jealous of him. I, I can help you out here. I can, everybody say psychology, 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 according to Pastor Art. 
99% of the time when somebody comes after you verbally or attitudinally or with their behavior, it's because they're insecure. So don't go around living your life like, what's wrong with me? If somebody dislikes you for no reason, it's because they're insecure. Your presence your walk with God, your victory, your success, the peace about your life is a threat to them. And though they should be praising God for what God's done inside of you, but many people are petty and insecure, and that was King Saul. He heard the people singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but how many did David slay? <laughs> David has slain his tens of thousands. And you know what? Why did he hate that? Normally, a servant leader, developing leader of others, would rejoice at that. And I hope David's sons win and kill hundreds of thousands of the enemy. But not this guy. David is being pursued by this guy. David doesn't have a place to rest his head. And one day when he gets with his band of brothers back to Ziklag, the whole thing is burned down to the ground. Families are gone. Goods are gone. Kids are gone. It's a total nightmare, total devastation. You know, at least when the tornado went through Mayfield, it left some things standing. Imagine going over there and there's nothing standing. There are no buildings, no houses, no people, nothing. They're either killed or dragged off into captivity. And so here you come. Here you are, David. And the Bible says all the men wept until they couldn't weep anymore. But that's not all they did. They wanted to find somebody to blame. Resilient people, you know, people that are not resilient will always look for somebody else to blame. Because they don't have strength of character to stand themselves. All these men, David didn't invite them to come in the first place. The Bible says they came to him. They were discontented, distressed, and in debt. That sounds like a recipe for a winning army, doesn't it? <laughs> discontented, distressed, and in debt. That's how they started. They came to him on their own. And these same men, because of an adverse situation that none of them could have controlled, they're talking now about stoning him. The question is, what does a resilient person do in a situation like that? I want you just to jot these principles down. And then I want to give you three truths for rebounding in your own life. Scripture says in Proverbs 24, 16, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Come on, say, that's me. Say it with me, I have the gift of getting up. Watch this. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Why? They don't have resiliency that you have. They have strength. Maybe physically or maybe money-wise, but on the inside, the spiritual strength to get up is not there when the wicked are operating. The first thing David did, and you need to do too, is encourage yourself in the Lord. Say it with me. I encourage myself in the Lord. If you don't do this, you'll never have a resilient spirit. You talk to yourself. <laughs> you do it anyway. You might as well talk scripture to yourself. Amen. I walked in somebody who works on this staff one day and they're just talking to themselves. And they said, oh, I just, I just talk to myself all the time. And I, I thought to myself, well, at least you're talking the word to yourself. <laughs> Amen. If you want to talk to yourself, you might as well go ahead and do what? Speak the word to yourself. We have this idea that once we become Christians, then everybody's going to encourage us. I'm going to get daily emails and tweets and IMs. 
helping me out all day long. And if you don't get it because you set up a false idol there, you get put out with people. In reality, on that day, David had no one to encourage him. Family wasn't there. Friends weren't there. The entire band turned on him. And what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. Say it with me. I need to encourage myself in the Lord. Now we should be loving and kind and reach out to people and pay attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit because he'll prompt us to reach out to people and help them. But if you're banking on that to make you resilient, you're making a mistake. More often than not, it's going to be you making a decision. And the more you mature in the things of God, the more this is likely to be the case. Okay, I just took a hit. I just took a punch. This is not nice. Now what you can do is go around having a pity party and tell all the people about the punch you took. That's not encouraging yourself in the Lord. Amen. I often wonder what David said to himself. <laughs> but he encouraged himself with the Lord. Write this down. Number two, he inquired of the Lord. He wanted to know, what do I do about this setback? Should I pursue this raiding party or not? And how many know if you'll ask the Lord, he'll tell you? Amen. You believe that today? He's encouraging himself in the Lord. He's setting himself up to be a hearer of God. And he goes and he pursues the Lord. He inquires of God. And God tells him, yes, rise up and pursue because you'll obtain everything. You'll recover everything. How I many that's a good word? Yes. So he's encouraging himself in the Lord and he's inquiring of God. You'd be amazed how many people, when they have a setback, adversity, challenge, they inquire of everybody else. They don't have the ability to give you the next steps to victory. Oh, they can certainly, you know, give you a hug or tap you on the hand. Everything's going to be okay. But what you need is a word from the Lord at that season. Amen. You don't need somebody entering into your hurt or your offense or your bitterness. You need somebody who's going to give you a word that can get you out of that situation and get you victory. Amen. So he encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. And number three, he got back in the game. He pursued. And that's what God is saying for you and for me to do as well. When you're challenged, when you have a setback, when you're stretched, when you're compressed, you can sit there and look around and say, hey, I got nobody to support me. I got nobody to help me. Or you can say, you know, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. I'm going to ask God what to do about this. And then I'm going to reengage in that situation. I'm going to go out and do what God wants me to do. And as he obeyed God, God raised up a person who was a slave of that king who cast him aside because he was ill. And that slave said, he asked him, can you tell us where this party is? And he said, yes, if you promise not to harm me. And they made a deal right there. And he took him right to the raiding party and they recovered everything. Come on, shout it out, everything. everything. But could you imagine if he just sat on a stunt complaining? Where would his family be? Where would their families be? Where would their stuff be? You see, he was compressed and stretched. He was constantly on the run. And here this happens. How could he possibly be so resilient? I tell you, because he inquired of the Lord and then he pursued. He got back in the game. You know what the body of Christ needs to do in America right now? They need to encourage themselves in the Lord. They need to inquire of the Lord and they need to get back in the game. Back in the house of God, back into service, back into involvement in the things of God. 
EO, we may be going through some things right now, but sometimes our eyes are on the wrong thing. God's clock is still ticking. He's returning. And what we do, we need to be a part of and do quickly because we don't know when that hour is. Instead of saying, well, you know what, I, it doesn't matter if I'm here, it doesn't matter if I'm there. I, I, I marvel at Christians that can be a Christian 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and still not know what they need to be doing for God. The Bible says in Psalm 92, 12 through 14, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Have you ever seen a palm tree in a hurricane? Kiss the ground. And what happens when the wind stops blowing? Doink. Let's all practice together. Ready? Doink. Everybody now, or I'll make you come up here with me. Amen? We'll be like the Rockettes. Are you ready? Doink. That's what you're supposed to be like. But a lot of Christians, when the wind blows, guess what? I kind of like it down here. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody cares. There's nothing going on on the ground that you want to be a part of. Amen. All the action's up here. Everybody go, doink. doink. One more time. <laughs> doink. Now, Kelly and Rodney didn't do it, so they have to come up here and help me out. So. <laughs> Are you ready, Rodney? I'm resilient. I'm resilient. <laughs> the righteous will flourish. What are they going to do? Flourish. flourish. That's what God wants, resiliency and flourishing. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They'll stay fresh and green. No matter how old you get, you're supposed to flourish. Well, I'm beyond flourishing age. That's not what the Bible says. If you believe that, you've got a Bible problem. Uh-huh. They'll flourish. But notice part of flourishing is being in the place of flourishing. Planted. Everybody say planted. Planted in the house of the Lord. Not visitors in the house of the Lord. Not sometimes there, sometimes not in the house of the Lord. Sometimes with the people of God and sometimes not with the people of God. But what? Planted. And when you can't be here because you're sick or you're working, your heart is what? It's still with the house of the Lord, your God. Say it with me. I'm with God. And he's with me. We need to be planted in God's will, his presence, and his house, and we'll always be resilient. There are believers that, uh, that uh, I mean, they, they demonstrate a lack of resilience in a lot of ways, but part of the reason they're having problems is they haven't understood the divine supernatural things that happen when they come to church just like y'all. Amen. You rub off on each other. Amen. Even as a little squirt. Some of y'all can't imagine me as a little squirt, but I used to be. <laughs> of course, I was a bigger squirt than my other brother, but I was a little squirt. And we'd go to Lutheran church, and we'd sit there like little ducks in a row, and, and, uh, 
this was before the day of children's church. And uh, you probably all can imagine that not one of us made a peep. <laughs> they go out to a restaurant, nobody would act up. People would comment, those are just lovely, well-behaved children. And I want to say, that's because we're terrified. <laughs> but when, <laughs> you know about dynamite coming in small packages? You know, dynamite, no matter how small the package, it still go boom. <laughs> Which is what I'm going to get at lunch today. <laughs> boom. <laughs> But I remember we would go and, you know, they're, you know, 10, 12 minute homily, whatever they would call it, and, and uh, you know, liturgy and everything. But even without all the substance that you and I have been blessed to have through the years, because we really take the word seriously, personally, not just through liturgy, you would still feel the presence of God and you walk out knowing that you did something you were supposed to do. As limited as my revelation was. And there would be a peace, there would be a joy in knowing you've been in the house of the Lord. You can't be resilient unless you're planted in the house of the Lord. You just can't. And to the extent that you are, you'll continue to flourish. You'll be green and you'll continue to bear fruit all the way through old age. Amen? Come on, say it. Doink! Doink. Glory to God. Listen to this from Isaiah 51. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. Raise your hand and say, that's me, I pursue righteousness. So this scripture is for me. And who seek the Lord. Raise your hand if you're seeking the Lord. That's you too. Look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave you birth. Now those words, we come from rock stock. We don't come from weakness stock. You come from a rock of faith, a rock of confidence in God. When I called him, he was but one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. It used to be a desert, but now it's a beautiful garden with lots of produce. That's what you call resiliency. Come on, said, I have a resilient spirit. Remember the stock you're cut from. The rock should be tough, abounding, and resilient. You didn't come from religion. You came from the rock of faith. You should be strong inside. Amen? In Micah 7, 8, this is a great scripture to memorize. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall what? I shall arise. Say, when I fall, I shall arise. Falling doesn't mean you're not resilient. Not getting up means you're not resilient. Come on, shout it out. When I fall, I shall arise. Say it again. When I fall, I shall arise. You get back up again. Well, here are three truths that will help you bounce back. And the bounce just simply means to bounce after, a rebound means to bounce back after hitting a hard object or a wall. Some of you have hit, hit walls in your life at various times. Can I ask you this? Was God faithful even though you hit a wall? Yes. 
Yes. Here's what you need to remember if you want to be resent. Number one, remember God's love. Even though you messed up, maybe fell down, tore things up, he still loves you. You could be in here today. You came here by faith, but technically, if we ask you how you're doing, you say, well, you know, right now I'm in a fallen down condition. Well, at least you're here. You need to hear that even in your fallen down condition, he loves you. He's not against you. He's still there for you. You've got to remember that he still loves you. No matter how bad you think you've messed up. No matter how much you think you've turned away from him. You have to have a mindset. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive that love. Not just understand that he loves me. But I'm going to actually receive the fact that he loves me. We see that in the story of the prodigal. Amen. I'll go back and tell him I'm not worthy to be your son. And basically the heavenly father is saying, poppycock, that's not going to happen. You are my son. I'm going to bring the shoes of sonship and the robe of righteousness. I'm going to put the signet ring that enables you to transact business in my kingdom. I'm going to put it back on your finger. You're not coming back to me as a slave or a servant. You're my son. He still loves you. God loved him in the pig pen. He said, I've never been in a pig pen like that. I didn't go out and spend all my dad's money. I didn't go out and, you know, hire a bunch of prostitutes and use drugs and whatever and just fall down until my life was destroyed. No, but I tell you this, there's another son in that story and he was in a pig pen too. The pig pen of a lousy attitude and the pig pen of religion. Not all the pig pens are out in the world. Some of them are in the church. Huh? And guess what? He loves you. Let's all practice our oink. Ready? Oink, 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 oink. He loves you. Pig pen in the world. Pig pen sitting in a seat in church. He loves you. Number two, you need to remember God's word. The reason you fell down and you're still down is because you've forgotten what his word declares over you. You've forgotten his truth. People tend to let go of the word of God under pressure. So you need to go back to the word of God and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to believe what God has said despite what's going on. Come on, say it with me. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by the word of God. What did God say? How you feel, that's not the highest authority in the world. It's what did God say that's the highest authority. God's word. You don't believe that, read Psalm 1. In fact, just turn over there for a moment. Some of your Bibles might just open up there. Come on, shout it out. I have a resilient spirit. Shout it out. None of these things move me. I'm like a palm tree. If I get blown over, doink. I get back up again. Amen. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or in the seat of mockers, but his delight, the thing he draws his greatest pleasure from, is the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates, he thinks about all day and all night. He is like a tree. Amen. Does that sound like resiliency to you? Mm -hmm. Like a tree planted by streams of water. It's getting nourished. 
It's established and it's nourished, which yields its fruit in season. It means it's fruitful, whose leaf does not wither. There you go. Sustainability. Resilience. From what? By focusing again on the Word of God. Meditating day and night will make you resilient and nourished and established and fruitful. How many can say that's good news? But you're not going to get that from Sunday morning. You're going to get that from having time in the Word daily yourself. Whatever he does, what? Prospers or succeeds. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Those that reject his word, his counsel, have no stability, have no resiliency. And a Christian who's technically born again, spirit-filled, going to heaven, who does not stay in the word of God, will not be like a tree planted. Will not be nourished by the waters. Will not bear fruit in season. Will not have a leaf that does not wither. And will not be successful in everything they do. Just being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be resilient. But I have never met a Christian yet who is in the word of God habitually who could not take a punch and get back up again. And I've taken a few myself. Say, what did you want to do? I wanted to punch back. Sometimes still do. Not totally arrived yet. But I have found that people that have grounded themselves in the word of God are the ones that will get back up again. Amen. Most people under assault, under stretching, under pressure, I mean, they'll disappear like the chaff. But how many are in it for the long haul? How many want to be when Jesus comes back told, well done? Raise your hand if you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. My pastor, Dale, used to preach about the dash on a tombstone. You all know that the first set of numbers represents the date somebody was born. And then there's a dash. And then there's an end date. And the beginning date and the end date does not define that person. That dash defines them. What did they do with that dash? Were they resilient and fruitful serving God or were they doing something else? Now, I have some good news for you today. You're still in the dash phase. Thank you for your enthusiasm over finding out you're alive. Let me try this again. You are still in the dash phase. Which means you can still do the will of God. Which means you can still add to that dash in a kingdom way. That's not going to happen, though, if you're not in the Word of God. And number three is God's purpose. He still loves you. He still has truth for you. And He has the divine purpose for you. When you fall down, you've got to be reminded. When you've had a hard time, when you're having a difficult time bouncing back in life because of what's happened to you, you need to be reminded that God still has a plan and purpose for your life. I've outlived God's purpose for my life. No, you haven't. You want to know how I know that? Because you're at Hope Harbor Church and not up there listening to Father Abraham preach this morning. Huh? 
If you're listening to Pastor Art, you're still here. You must be reminded when you fall or when you are compressed and you're not bouncing back right, God has never deviated. The day you were born, he created a, a cutout of what you're supposed to be and do for the kingdom of God. And it's your job to find out what that is. And it's your job to live up to whatever he says you are. And some people that are called certain things never do. They, they want to do what they want to do. Uh, I think through a lot of musicians live this way through the years. I, I can't help but, but, but call Elvis Presley not just a brilliant musician and showman, but anointed. There's no other word to describe. And most people don't know this, that his style and his charisma and everything deposited in him happened when he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Most believe in an Assembly of God church. And that's where he started dancing. One of his backup singers spoke at our church in Hopkinsville and would tell us stories that after a show around the country, whether it was SIU Arena or Las Vegas, wherever he was, they would stay up till 4 or 5 in the morning every single time they had a show singing gospel hymns together because that's really where his heart was at. Bound by the lifestyle, bound by drugs, bound by all kinds of problems, never totally surrendered. Could you imagine if 50,000 people in a stadium, Elvis Presley opened up and said, you know what, I want to tell you about my best friend and had an altar call. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine the millions of people who would have come to Christ? Um, most people don't know that uh, an assembly of God pastor named James Hamill, a pastor first assembly in Memphis, Tennessee, Elvis said, uh, could you meet me on the tarmac of the airport? I want to talk to you. He said, yes, I can. And he drove out there and here came the plane. Elvis steps down off the plane onto the tarmac and says, Brother Hamill, I don't know what to do. I've got all these issues going on in my life. I've had problems with the marriage and problems with drugs. And he goes, but I'm under all these contracts. I don't know what to do. And Hamill just told him, get out. Pay what you have to pay to get out of them, but stop this right now. He said, I just don't think I can do that. Got back on that plane. The way I heard the story is the pastor never saw him again. Now, that doesn't need to be your example or your life. Whatever you have, God put there. Yield it over to him. The world is littered with people who never got around to turning what God gave them over for his purpose. And you can. And we all can relate to that. We all have a little bit of Elvis in us. Thank you very much. I have absolutely no Whitney Houston in me. But what would you call her except what? Anointed. And have you noticed how much the devil goes after these people? To kill, to steal, to destroy? She was young. He was young. I'm telling you today that you may have fallen on your face, you've been compressed, you've been stretched, you've been beat up, you've been punched, and you haven't gotten up yet. You need to know that God loves you very much today. And you need to know that his word is the key to your resiliency. And you need to know today that God has never canceled your purpose. Still here. Come on, say it. I have a purpose. I have a divine destiny in the Lord. And I'm going to live up to it.
with the rest of my life, with the dash I have left. It seemed to me the dash should be big and the number small. But say, with the dash I have left, I'm going to serve God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. Amen. Stand and give the Lord a hand clap today and thank Him for His word.